we was we got disrespected a little bit before the game. Guys calling us out. We're a tougher team. We're grown men over here. We got a whole bunch of gangsters in the locker room. Not thugs, but tough guys on the court. And we went out there and zipped them up at the end of the game. That's our motto, zip them up. And that's what we just did to them. But what do you think? It's right after you were in a, had an at-bat. You didn't have really time to relax between innings. Did that have anything to do with it? No, man. I mean, I just fucking walked to guys. This game's pretty tough. So if it sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, and get them out of here. You don't live in Cleveland. Welcome back to Sports Intoxication. This is like three, four weeks in a row. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, we're like becoming a legitimate podcast-ish. Let's <laughs> not uh, get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, good point. Let's good point. Let's let's pump the brakes on that. But um, but we do have somewhat of a schedule, and we're joined tonight. Um, it's just Brian and I. Hi, everybody. And um, we do have Matt's pick. We'll get to that later for the Bengals uh, against the spread this week. And if you have been betting Matt and I's picks against the spread, we are 1-0-1. The Bengals are 1-0-1 against the spread. Um, And we picked him. I don't know what you picked against the Chargers. I know you took him to cover against the Browns. Yeah, and I picked him. Not to cover against the Chargers, but it was a draw, so I'm one oh and one as well. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um damn, we're our tiebreaker's not even like not doing anything for tiebreaking. Uh well, we won't all be on the same boat this week, I don't think. And they no. can't at least a, what the spread is right now, there's no way to, to hit it dead on <laughs> dead nut center, so there won't be a push this week. Yeah. Uh, so as we talked about on last week's podcast, last week we recorded on Wednesday, the Reds had a massive three-game series at home against the White Sox and a big, even bigger three-game series at home against the Brewers. The Reds went four and two over that stretch. They um, went two and one in both those series. And I think we would agree they probably could have and should have swept the Brewers after a really good performance from Sonny Gray's first back to start back from the disabled list. Um, so the Reds are in the thick of it. As things stand right now, they would be the seven seed in the playoffs in the National League. They would be the seven seed wild card. Um, and as things stand right now, I think they've owned the tiebreaker over everybody. I th- um, Yeah. They definitely own the tiebreaker over Milwaukee. And then with the Giants, I believe it is intra-division record, uh, which let's see if I can. I, I think they own that as well. Let me see. Uh, let's see. The Giants. Yeah, the Giants are 17 and 19 against the West. Um, and I Yes, that includes today's game. So 17 and 19 against the West, while the Reds are 21 and 19 against the Central. So basically, for the Giants to catch the Reds, they need to beat the Padres four times. And if they do that, they'll have a better record than the Reds. And they ain't doing that because the Padres are good. Yeah. Um, there are some good, like, for, for the Reds' purposes of making the playoffs, 
the Cardinals and Brewers are playing. And the Reds are a game behind the Cardinals in the standings. Um, but really, it's two games because the Cardinals are on the, on the tiebreaker over the Reds uh, by way of the 6-4 to four season series right. that the Cardinals, um, which don't get me started on that Rysel Iglesias blown save. Yeah. On, <laughs> I don't want to get on that rabbit Well, hole. okay, so they're, they're actually in pretty good shape because we've already talked they've got it on the Giants, they've got it on the Brewers, and on the Phillies – the Phillies were 21 and 19 against the East, which is the same as the Reds. But I read that the next level tiebreaker is what your record was in the last 20. And the Reds were 12 and eight and yep. the Phillies were eight and 12. So they've, they should have that one wrapped up. And then yep. the Marlins are 20 and 19 and they're in a tight one with the Braves right now. So we really need the Braves to win tonight. And if that happens, then They've got the tiebreaker against the Marlins, and the Marlins have lost I don't know how many in a row, so they probably already have the, the next tiebreaker against them, even if the Marlins win. So basically, they're in a pretty good spot, I think, as long as they don't get swept in Minnesota. Exactly. Um, and truth be told, Minnesota's starting Jose Barrios, Rich Hill, and um, – I forget the uh, other Pinette, one. Pinette, Michael, oh, I think. Michael Pineda. Yeah, Michael uh, Pineda. So, now granted, any of those guys, like the Reds a lot of times struggle when they see guys for a first time. And um, But look, the Reds are throwing Castillo, well, Molly, Castillo, and Bauer if necessary. Hopefully they right. pitch Trevor Bauer um, on Sunday, which would be really right. nice. Though, if Trevor Bauer pitches on Sunday, he has a chance to lock up his, the first – Cy Young Award for the Cincinnati Reds franchise. Which is an incredible statement. Absolutely. I uh, I saw that the only other teams that don't have one, I think it's the Marlins, the Rockies, and was it maybe the Rays? It was all teams that were like expansion teams in the 90s. 1990s, not 1890s. Everybody. And the Rockies probably are never getting one. Uh, True. Because of where they play their, True. their home games. But um, stranger things have happened. The Reds, again, we talked about this last week. We thought we would be uh, reading the 2020 Reds eulogy. And this team is now playing like we expected them to play all year. They still go through struggles offensively, uh, as we saw in the Tuesday night game against the Brewers. They can still be frustrating from that standpoint, but they they're a team that's built around starting pitching and with that starting pitching and with Luis Castillo joining the team uh, in the last three weeks (laughs) and, and, and pitching like Luis Castillo did in the first half of last year, he's, he's been dominant the last four starts. Uh, And he was again on Monday. Um, So before we go any further, I just want to point out, and and I can't find the text because it's way too far back on the chain, but when the Reds were coming back home for their 10-game homestand and they were, I believe, 20 and 26, or no, they must have been 21 and 26, I said, hey, you never know what can happen. They just got to have a good homestand, and and everybody was like, yeah, whatever. And here we are. They've got, I think I read, like an 85% chance of making the playoffs as of today. They had an 88% chance of uh, making the playoffs, and the Cardinals were at 78, um, which is crazy. 
Um, so now they this is Cincinnati and they are the Reds. So let's not uh, yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves not here. In yet. Yeah, but you were the one that had faith. I uh, I dropped my faith after the first four gamer against the Pittsburgh Pirates, which they should have swept. Yeah, um, I mean, if if they sweep that, we're talking about. A division, potentially the division, because I mean the Cubs are losing right now. They're thirty-two and twenty-five. If the Reds have two more wins, they're thirty-one and what twenty-six. Six. So they're a game yep. out of first place with three to go. Yep. Um, and the the first forty games of this season yeah. are littered with games like that that are a what if for the Reds. Right. That are a what if for Matt. Because he took them to win thirty five or thirty six. I think games. he said thirty six. Thirty six and twenty four. <laughs> I think I said thirty five. They have a chance if they sweep this weekend of hitting your number. Did I say thirty two? I couldn't remember I if I said thirty two or thirty one. Um, I I'm my number's still in play though. I think you're right. It is, uh, and you're going to win that bet. <laughs> uh, Matt's going to lose that bet. <laughs> well, Which, we'll just have to buy each other a bottle of bourbon, I guess. To uh, to recap. The uh, the U.S. Open from this past weekend, uh, Mr. Chase got absolutely murdered. Uh, is it is it good when five of your seven players missed the cut? <laughs> That's tough. Uh, I was like scoreboard watching on Saturday because Matt and I both had guys go out early. Like he had Jason Day and I had Ricky, and um, Ricky shot like one over and Jason shot like seven over and i was like okay i just picked up six strokes then the rest of the day went horribly for me <laughs> um obviously a very difficult golf course uh there were some high numbers being put up and in the end bryson DeChambeau wins the u.s open matt wins the sports intoxication uh u.s open bet yeah and without Case, our yeah and i i lost awfully so i i owe the the bourbon but without our resident golf expert here. I don't have a lot to expand upon that other than I think that was probably the most boring anticlimactic Sunday at a major in a long time. I mean, Wolf came out and he just didn't have it. And Shambo was just hitting par after par. And I mean, it wasn't even close down the stretch. I truth be told, um, went on a little getaway this past week for a few days and I was getting into the house where we were staying at and I didn't watch barely a minute. I was kind of keeping up with it on my phone. Uh, but as Brian said, it sounds like I didn't miss much. No, I don't think you did. So that's good. Um, so before we jumped on here tonight, I was reading an article in the athletic.com. Um, our friends at the athletic Paul Daner, Jr. Bengals writer, um, this wasn't written by Paul, but uh, they were talking about since September 3rd, I think, um, the Reds had really kind of turned things around. And they named six players that had really spurned this revitalization of the Cincinnati Reds. Um, Brian and I don't need to name six players, but I think – I think we do have to give credit where it's due because we were absolutely roasting this team three or four weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. And everyone on it. Um, 
everyone. Like that that was the frustrating part about this team early on was the first few weeks Castellanos hit and then he didn't. The next couple of weeks Jesse Winker hit and then he didn't. Um and then no one else but of late some guys have really turned it around. Um so Brian, why don't you give me a couple guys that you that have stood out to you as far as these last twenty or so days. So spread. number one is gotta be Luis Castillo. I mean, I think the dude is I don't know if you know he's three and zero or four and zero in his last four starts, but his ERA I think is like one two. He has just been dominant, um, and that's the Castillo that you were expecting coming into the year. Maybe not that good, but much better than the guy that pitched in July and August. Um, so he he's number one, and then I think Joey Votto has taken his game to a, a level that we haven't seen in a couple years. Um, the, the power that he's had has been impressive. I mean, how big was that home run? So we're doing this on Thursday. He had a two-run home run the bottom of the first on Wednesday in game three against the Brewers. Massive game, have to have that game, and he comes out and t- hits a two-run homer uh, in the bottom of the first to put him up. So he's, he's my number two. And then I'd say two other guys come to mind. One would be the guy that was standing on first base when Votto hit that home run, Shogo. Shogo has been an on-base machine for about the last two weeks. Um, he's he's not necessarily, you know, hitting doubles or extra base hits, but he's just he's getting on base. Whether it's having great at bats, drawing walks, or slapping singles, he's getting on base. And the other guy that I think has really picked it up has been Mustakas especially in, in that Brewer series, he was on fire. Yeah. So it would be great if they could keep it rolling and maybe get Winker and Castellanos going again and see what happens. Absolutely. Uh, I don't disagree with any of those guys. I think that the, uh, the Votto and Shogo combo is huge because when Castellanos was hitting, when Winker was hitting, no one was on base mm-hmm. and, so just having a guy in front of them that's on base um, as much as he has been lately is huge for a team that likes to depend on the long ball. Um, and another name that I would throw out there from a pitching standpoint is, again, I have personally just blasted this dude on the podcast. Uh, Michael Lorenzen has yeah. two spot starts. They won both games. Um, and they were just absolutely huge starts. So the nice thing about Michael Lorenzen, um, is now with Sonny Gray back and with the season winding up, he can go back to the bullpen. And I really hope that he takes the success that he had starting. Um, I mean, he pitched like five innings in both those games when he wasn't stretched out. And in one of them, he had five shutout innings, I think. And the other one, he gave up one run. Yeah, I mean, that was the huge thing. You know, when you got a guy like that, you're thinking, hopefully we can get three, maybe four innings out of him. And he got they got five out of him both times. And I think at least one of those games, then Antone came in and pitched another three innings. So, I mean, they they had a spot starter that did not tax the bullpen at all. Yeah, um, which is huge. And a lot of times when you look at probable starters, you know, 
baseball. You know what they say about momentum in baseball. Uh, so <laughs> when you look at the future and you're like, okay, well, Trevor Bauer's pitching on this day or at least Castillo's pitching on this day. And then you look and you're like, Michael Lorenzen, you don't really know what to expect from Lorenzen this year. And uh, he was, I mean, just really, really gutty performances that as, as we just talked about how close this playoff race is, those wins are huge. Right. And they make up for some of the losses that he gave them earlier in the year. (laughs) So I'll throw him out there. And then um, Luis Castillo, like you said, is huge. Joey's power numbers. If you extrapolate that over a 162 game season, like what he's going to do, he's going to, that's 25 to 30 home runs. If we could get that from Joey next year, then I don't care what he hits. He's still getting on base at a decent clip. Um, I don't care if he hits 250. Um, I just think it's interesting. His his batting stance has completely changed. Obviously, his approach has completely changed. Um, and I can't remember. There's so his stance is, has changed so drastically. I, it makes me try to flash back and remember what his stance was when he was a younger player, and I can't really remember it. I don't think he was as upright as he is now, but he certainly wasn't, you know, choking up on the bat like he had been for the last year and a half. And and obviously that wasn't working for him. And and hopefully this newfound stance is what he does, like you said, the next couple of years and and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And one other thing I was going to say about Lorenzen and another name that I'll throw out there, which this is good that there's all these names that we're throwing out there because that means that a lot of guys are performing as we just said earlier, a lot of guys weren't performing earlier in the season um, is Gino has been hitting for a little more power recently. I think the first 20 games of the year, he didn't have a home run. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think he's up to like 15, um, which he could have won the freaking national league home run crown this year. If he had, hit at all in the first right. two or three weeks of the season. It is what it is, but I'm glad he's hitting now. And as, as Reds fans, they, I mean, we're, we're on this text thread and there's just constant <laughs> texts about this poor at bad and the leadoff double gets wasted. And, and all these things are true, Yeah. but when we're, we're watching playoff baseball right now, playoff baseball. If the Reds play the freaking Los Angeles Dodgers, they're going to – I mean, these are going to be battles. It's going to be two to one, three to two games. Yeah, and every single out, every single pitch is huge. And I'll be so interested to see how the Reds' offense performs in the postseason because the Dodgers' lineup is loaded. Right. And in a way, if guys are hitting – the Reds lineup is loaded too. Like there's not a guy that's other than catcher that's questionable sometimes and shortstop. Yeah. The the Reds don't have a weakness if the guys are hitting. Now, if Castellanos is flailing at everything that's low and away, then he's a hole. Yeah. Like, and I don't think we want to get into the whole text chain argument here about batting averages and all that, but like it is true. Like they're hitting 212 as a team or 213 as a team this year. That's awful. If you look at their statistics the last number of years, and granted it's over 162, but like Castellanos has been 
a 285, 295 hitter. He's hitting 230. Suarez has been 270 plus. He's hitting 200. Like, yep. If if they can f- get in a groove collectively, not not even all of them, just four or five at a time as we go into the playoffs here. The way that the pitchers are rolling right now, they're a very dangerous team if the, if they get in. But they got to get in first. Absolutely, and we will. I, I want to say this. Um, about the Reds in the playoffs, if the Reds are fortunate enough to make the playoffs, I want to see how David Bell uses his bullpen because on Tuesday night, that lone loss in the series to Milwaukee, Sonny Gray started for the Reds. First start back off the DL, pitched five shutout innings. Yeah. Um, one run. Yeah. Um, and then gave way to now he only pitched five innings but he was coming that's his first start back off the dl he gave way to tj anton who has been a revelation for the reds this yep. year I'm not taking anything away from tj but david bell gets the sixth inning clean clean from anton um and he looked really good in that game if you're playing the freaking dodgers or the brewers or i don't care who the hell you're playing it's a playoff game in the sense that the reds need to win games to get into the playoffs if David Bell is letting TJ Antone pitch two innings in the playoffs, I hope that Bob Castellini comes down from the owner's box <laughs> in the seventh <laughs> inning and fires his ass. Because hey, calm down, Casey. <laughs> you cannot. Man, like, you, you traded for Archie Bradley. You have Rysel Iglesias. Monday's game was like a six or seven to one game that Nate Jones pitched the last inning. Like, Rysel pitched the eighth and Nate Jones pitched the ninth. Um, like, man, it's like there's – freaking something on the line right because amir garrett rysel iglesias archie bradley those three dudes could have pitched seven eight nine i'm right. not even mentioning michael lorenzen because he pitched on sunday um but and i didn't mention lucas sims who has been awesome for the reds this year so david bell if you're listening to this podcast which <laughs> there's no chance that you are because you have just absolutely been lambasted in this uh previous episodes um, don't like manage like something like it matters. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's we'll see what happens. But if I was David Bell, I think after uh, the first guy got on uh, against Antone, uh, I would have had I somebody have, up. I think we have uh, the the Chase Twins' first appearance on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not doing. All right, so. As we were talking about there, um, before a brief little break there for uh, for Mister Chase to go do some parenting <laughs> duties, um, just the team David Bell um, in that situation on Tuesday, like you got the inning out of Anton. Turn bring, to, to yeah, bring your studs in. Yeah, um, I, you're right. I'd go. At that point, it's a it's a one run game. You just got to go, Garrett, Bradley, Iglesias, seven, eight, nine, and get yeah. it done. Absolutely, that would have been fine by me. Um, what are you drinking tonight, Brian? Uh, so I'm I'm drinking an old fashioned made with uh, Makers. Nice. I was drinking a a Makers one hundred and one. Uh, mm. But I just switched to Elijah Craig Rye because 
that was hitting me a little bit weird. I, like I said, I was at a, on a lake trip, so I'm like on the end of a bender. Uh, <laughs> and tonight's podcast was like, so, so it's like, you know, any other coming off any other weekend previous to mid July. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah. But, uh, I'll, I'll take tomorrow off and get back at it Saturday for college football. <laughs> there you go. Um, so another topic, Red's topic that I wanted to briefly touch on is, and again, I'm stealing content here, but uh, that's all we do on this show is mm-hmm. listen to other people's stuff and then take it and talk about it. But we do it when we're drunk. So yeah, it's, better. it's definitely better that way, <laughs> so, at least in our minds. <laughs> exactly. So Mo Egger posted a poll today asking if the Reds were going to face the Dodgers in the playoffs, would you prefer that they face them in the first round? Because that would be a three game series and you only have to beat them twice. Or would you rather they advance in it? I mean, obviously the advance part is awesome if they advance or would you rather hypothetically play them in a longer series that you'd have to beat them uh, three or four times. And I think it's an interesting question because the Dodgers are very good. Um, All right. So here's, here's my take on that. I would rather play them later in the playoffs because it means the Reds advance and I just want them to advance. I also think if, if you're playing them later in the playoffs, that means for the Reds, you're going to be playing them in the NLCS because if the Reds aren't the eighth seed, they, are likely going to be, well, I was going to say they'll likely be the six or the seven seed, but that depends what goes on in the East. I guess they could be the five seed. Um, but in all likelihood, I, I think the Cardinals are going to take care of business against the Brewers. I think the Reds end up either the seven or the eight. Uh, so I'd rather be the seven, play the Braves, than you play the winner of Cubs, Marlins, in all likelihood, or Cubs, Phillies. Uh, and then you get the Dodgers and the NLCS. So I think that's that's my preferred route, and I hope that that's what happens. That makes a ton of sense to me um, because, A, the advancing in the playoffs thing. I also think the Reds match up pretty well with um, Atlanta. Atlanta's a really good team, but Atlanta's had some problems with health and starting pitching this week. And as we talked about with the Reds' offense, um, if they faced the back end of Atlanta's rotation that – it doesn't sound like Cole Hamels is going to be ready for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know they lost a couple other guys. I don't I don't know what Atlanta's rotation would look like. I know that they have the one dude that's in the talk of the NL Cy Young, like Max Freed or something. Yeah. Like that. But he's not – he's in the talk of NL Cy Young, but he's not in the talk talk of NL Cy Young. Because to me, NL Cy Young comes down to Trevor Bauer, Hugh Darvish, and Jacob DeGrom. Yeah. I mean, the thing he's got going for him is he's seven and zero, but his ERA isn't as good as Bauer. He's only got 50 strikeouts. Bauer, I think has a hundred like, and I'd be interested. Let's just look at, uh, runs scored. Atlanta has scored 335 runs. The Reds have scored 228. So that tells you how much easier it is to win. And Atlanta's pitching staff than it is for the Reds pitching staff. Very true. And the the Atlanta offense would hopefully, although it's a very potent offense, hopefully 
they'd struggle a little bit with the Reds pitching. Um, so I'm going to agree with you on facing the Braves or just not facing the Dodgers. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm watching Dodgers Oakland right now, and Corey Seager, Seager just crunched another home run. I don't want any part of the Dodgers. They're good. Um, so I think that's it for the Reds. Yeah, tonight. although. Like you said at the beginning, how much of an upset is it that we started off this podcast talking about the Reds and not the Bengals? I mean, yeah, I I would have bet you a hundred dollars last week that that was not going to be the case. I agree. Uh, you were also the guy on last week's podcast that said, um, we, we when we were talking about what the Reds needed to do, we said just keep winning series, and you said, well, they might win one and lose the rest. Um, there was some talk of losing eight of nine to, so that's out the window. At this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thank God. And, and uh, if they honestly, I think this, this twin series is very winnable. Um, if they win two out of three, I think they'll safely get in yeah. because of everything else that's happening um, around them. So go reds. And as a listener, you're definitely pulling for the reds. Even if you're not a huge reds fan, because a Reds playoff requires a Reds playoff preview podcast. So you could get bonus content from Sports Intoxication, which we know that's what you yeah, want. Who doesn't want that? Right. That's, that's called win-win. So <laughs> be on the lookout for that if the, uh, the Reds can lock it down this weekend. How spoiled so, are our listeners, though, that – in the past, they've had to wait literally months on end for the next podcast to drop, and now they're getting one like every week. Right. I mean, I think our record six months. I'd have to go and look back at the uh, episodes <laughs> to see the timestamps of when they were published, but I think our record six months between podcasts. And uh, now we're doing weekly, and we're we're keeping the content fresh. But I mean, I don't want to say this out loud, but COVID's the best thing that ever happened to this podcast. <laughs> For our uh, listeners, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the The Reds have given us a lot to talk about, a lot of um, topics. And the Bengals, as we move uh, on to Bengals, the Bengals have also gifted us with a busy offseason, the number one overall draft pick, and two entertaining uh, losses so far. And two very entertaining yeah. losses. Joe Burrow last week against the Browns was dynamite. And one thing that was always talked about in the Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton era was prime time games. And Joe Burrow was ready for the spotlight. He was fantastic. He threw for over 300 yards. He had three touchdowns, no interceptions. He did have a fumble uh, that was very costly in that game. But, um, your guy, Zach Taylor, actually took credit for took credit slash blame for that fumble, saying that he shouldn't have called the play that he did that led to the fumble. Now, um, did he also take credit for the fact that his rookie quarterback in his second NFL game threw 61 passes? Because that can't happen. He did say that they need to uh, get that number down. I mean – it's a product of the situation as far as the game situation. I, I don't want my, my biggest concern with Joe Burrow throwing the ball is the 
that that amount of times is the amount of hits that he's taken because this offensive line's bad. I think that hopefully they can scheme away like they did in the second half against the Chargers. Um, they're facing another good defensive line uh, from the Eagles this weekend. Hopefully they can – hopefully Fred Johnson makes a little bit of progress at right guard. He didn't have any live snaps at right guard before that game last week. Um, I don't know. Like, if you if you listen to the Athletic podcast or if you read what Paul Daner Jr. writes for the Athletic, like, so much talk. And on the Skinny podcast, too, so much talk is about – they believe the Bengals believe in these guys, these guys being Bobby Hart, these guys being Fred Johnson. Um, I, it, what are they watching? They're, they're, exactly. And the problem is, is if you believe in these guys, then now you got to start questioning because the results are there from a negative standpoint. Now you got to start questioning the coaching staff. Cause if they believe in these guys, then, um, they need to get their heads checked. Yeah, I think the most – okay, I, I'd say there's two really – I don't want to say depressing, but just disheartening stats from the game Thursday. So the first is 61 pass attempts for Joe Burrow. That I mean, that can't happen. You, you got to keep him at – in my opinion, you got to be strong enough running the ball that he's he's not throwing more than 35 passes in the game. If, if he is – I think you're going to see what happened Thursday where people just pin their ears back and they're just going to try to kill him. And yep. he's, he's got to be the center of your franchise for the next 10 years. So you cannot allow that to happen. If that means you go 0 and 16 this year, because your offensive line is awful and you have to run the ball 35 times to protect Joe Burrow. To me, that's what you do. You can't sacrifice Burrow. And I think that's what Matt was trying to say on the episode with PDJ where he said, maybe we should start Ryan Finley, which we all laughed at. But so that's one. The other thing, look at the, I'm just looking at the box score and I'm looking at Bengals r- team rushing 24 rushes for 68 yards, average of 2.8 yards per carry. And then if you look at Cleveland, uh, 35 carries, 215 yards, average of 6.1 yards per carry. And that's Mayfield had three carries for five years. Five yards. So between the two running backs, Chubb and Hunt, 32 carries for 210 yards. The fact that the Bengals got destroyed in the trenches on both sides of the ball is discouraging, to say the least. I think it is. And I think that that, that was one thing I was going to say is that while we're sitting here harping on the offensive line, we can't let the defense uh get away because the reason they lost that game was not because of the offensive line as, as much as it pains me to say it. it was because the defense was awful agreed the reason they lost that game was the defense was awful but the reason that they won't be good in five years would be because the offensive line is awful and joe burrow gets killed back there gets gun shy and is not the same guy that he was at lsu and the same guy that we hope he will be in the future absolutely um there were some interesting developments in the with the receiver room last week where John Ross did not we talked about this last week on Wednesday I was mad about John Ross and the him leading the wide receivers in percentage of snaps John Ross was not on the field that much last week T Higgins was on the field a bunch more Auden Tate did not dress um 
they still have not run your end around or bubble screen for John Ross when he's on the field. But I think that's something to keep an eye on this Sunday as far as how many snaps he's getting. Is he falling out of favor with this coaching staff? Because we know the last coaching right. staff didn't like him. Um, and look, it's his last year as a Bengal. Unless he wants to sign a three-year, $9 million prove-it deal where he's getting paid three million bucks a year, he's not going to be here next year. Yeah. Uh, I could see but him. But it was good to see T. Higgins get those snaps, and he had a couple nice catches, and Joe Burrow made that sideline throw. That sideline throw for Higgins' first catch was an incredible throw. Um, but back to the whole Zach Taylor thing, you know, I have a reputation as a Zach Taylor basher here. I want Zach Taylor to do well. I just don't I, – I look at the play calling and I'm like, you have all these weapons. Like, why are we Why are we using some of them the way that we are? Like, the John Ross thing. Okay, I'm very happy that his snaps were where they should have been this week. But, like, when he's on the field, obviously the guy is explosive. you got to figure out a way to get him the ball. And it seems to me that catching the ball down the field isn't his best skill set because he has shown throughout – the past four years that his hands are not as good as an NFL wide receiver should be, but get him the ball on a, on a jet sweep, get him the ball in a bubble screen. Like, I mean, I say this every week, but that's where he can be effective. So why aren't the coaches scheming to do that? If they're going to put him in the game. Absolutely. Um, another interesting development out of last week's game and, and really the, the stats from the first two weeks has been with a very bad Bengals offensive line. I don't know if that's an understatement, um, <laughs> but the Bengals have had their most success gaining yards, positive plays, running with five wide. Um, so no help for the offensive line. Um, but I think that a lot of that speaks to the skill set of this quarterback that is really good at making decisions, that is really good at reading the field and getting the ball out in a timely manner. Um, so something to watch going forward will be how much they use that. I'm not advocating for a, a run and shoot or any kind of offense like that. Obviously, they just paid Joe Joe Mixon, excuse me, um, a bunch of money, and they need to use him. And they're like you said, that's going to keep uh, Joe Burrow upright and healthy. Well, and I think we've seen in the past that when Joe Mixon is going well, the Bengals' offense is going well. It, it just gives them another dimension that you can then play action off of that. And when Mixon's confident, he's running people over. He's, I mean, he's just a different, he's a different running back. Um, the one thing I, I will give them credit for last week by them, I mean, Zach Taylor and the coaching staff is the fact that they, and, and I'm a little blurry on, on exactly when all of these happen, but I do remember they went for it a lot on fourth down and they were five of five on fourth down. So being aggressive and going for it, I, I love to see that. I hope they keep that up. I just wish that they could find better balance on offense, and I think it, it comes down to the offensive line. And then, like you said, the defense is really the reason they lost the game. So is that just a function of not having Geno out there and, and Reader not being 100% healthy? I don't know, but the defensive line is, has got to be a lot better than they were Thursday. I totally agree, and obviously after watching film of 
Thursday's game, I think you're going to try to see the Philadelphia Eagles just shove the ball right down their throats, which they should. Yeah. Um, so it's a uh, it's put up or shut up time. It's a uh, man up time for the defense starting this week, as far as um, just playing better. Look, the, the Bengals spent a bunch of money on that side of the ball this off season. Josh Bynes missed a bunch of tackles last week. Like you said, Reader didn't. I mean, I don't know that he was missing a bunch of tackles, but I know that they didn't get any push um, and they didn't stop the run, which is a big part of what he's supposed to do. So a better performance out of the defense this week will go a long way towards a successful outcome against the Eagles, which brings us to a prediction. When this, when we did our 16 game schedule picks, I think we all took the Bengals to lose to the Eagles because we thought the Eagles were going to be good. Um, this game looks a little different now than it did two weeks ago. The Eagles lost to the Washington football team <laughs> opening week. And then I'm sorry, got... I still can't get over that. I know. It just, it sounds uh, so funny. <laughs> and they, uh, they got trounced by the Los Angeles Rams this past weekend. So they're own two. They're licking their wounds. And they have an own two Bengals team that's coming to town. A Bengals team that with a few breaks in the right direction could be two and oh. Um or definitely be one and one. So we'll fire away. Matt has uh sent in his pick. So the spread for the game is four and a half. And Matt has predicted the Bengals cover that spread. And Bengals 24, Eagles 21. So that's a – it's not just a cover. That's an outright win for the Bengals, according to Matt. And he, he did make the comment that Zach Taylor is due – which I agree when you go two and 16 in your first 18 games, you're either due to win a few or due to get fired. I one of the two. Oh, and 10 in one score games. Also. <laughs> um, I am going to go Bengals 30 Eagles 24. Um, I'm loving what I see from Joe Burrow. The, I mean, I show my fandom and my idiocy at the same time, um, just picking this team every week. But when they play Baltimore, like I won't pick them to win, but uh, or the Steelers. But this game seems winnable, and I think that they had a week and they had some extra days to prepare for this one. I think that look, the offensive line's never going to be good. But I think that it can be better than it was last week. And the defense, they just need to be more physical. Um, one of the things that we didn't really touch on when we were talking about last week was Joe Burrow gets them within a score. At, I think it was – there was about seven minutes left. In yeah. The game. Um, and – when you, as a defense, when you know the other team is going to run and you can't stop it, 
um, that really should affect your pride. And I think the Bengals um, need to bounce back from that performance because that drive, and they had huge gashes. We're not talking about three yards, four yards, three yards to get a first down. We're talking about a run of like 29, another run over 30. I mean, it was pathetic. And they you knew they were going to run the ball. <laughs> right. I don't understand how that happens. And um, for that reason, I will not be picking the Bengals to win the game or to cover the spread. I'm oh. going I, – I think it will be uh, Eagles 33 – Bengals 27. They lose the game not because Joe Burrow and the offense. I think the offense plays good enough to win despite the offensive line struggles. I think the problem is um, until the defense shows that they can (laughs) be a lot better, I, I just can't pick them. And I understand the Browns. The Browns have a lot of talent on offense, but like 235 yards rushing, you can't allow that. Well, exactly. There's Therein lies the problem because the Bengals didn't get killed by OBJ. Um, I think he had a touchdown catch, and then uh, William Jackson the third definitely held him on a different play that didn't get called. Right. But uh, that happens in the NFL. I mean, I, I think it's really hard to judge the secondary in that game because, I mean, the Browns yeah. didn't really have to throw the ball. Like right, and the now, if you read a bunch of articles this week where they're talking about pressure on the quarterback, which the Bengals got no pressure on Baker Mayfield, um, all the defensive line guys for the Bengals are saying it starts with stopping the run. We can't rush the quarterback if we're not stopping the run, mm-hmm. and um, we'll see if that's the case this week because um, I don't know if Gino is going to play this week. I think there's a chance that Mike Daniels comes back. Um, and I don't, I'm not saying that's what they were missing last week, but I think that that has an impact. Yeah, it uh, definitely has an impact. So we got to see what they, uh, what they do this weekend. The Eagles from a receiving standpoint, I don't even know who catches passes for them besides Zach Ertz. Uh. Let's see. Isn't um, they took Jalen Regor with their first round pick? Yeah. Deshaun Jackson's still there. But yeah, you're right. They got um, well, they got Dallas Goder, the other tight end. So basically, they throw the tight ends a ton. Historically, something the Bengals have struggled at covering. Um, But new look linebacking unit. So maybe they won't get killed by the tight ends. But, yeah, the Eagles offense doesn't particularly scare me. So um, that's why I yeah with what I did. I do think the Bengals have uh, after uh, – so I don't think they'll win this game, but I think after this game they've got a four-week stretch where they can win three games. Jacksonville, Washington, and who else? They play Jacksonville at home, at Ravens. That's a loss, obviously. At Colts and home against the Browns. Yeah. The oh, okay. So that's not even including the uh, Washington football team. But uh, the 
it's it's always interesting. The first couple of weeks of the NFL season are always so exciting to me to watch a bunch of teams to see what if they're performing at preseason expectation level. Um, and I would say right now the Colts are probably falling a little short of that. And that game always looked winnable to me because I don't have a I'm not a big Philip Rivers guy that he's like a franchise savior. In mm-hmm. Um, so on some quick musketeer news, um, there, well, I guess it really isn't even musketeer news. Um, it's speculation that there was another 2021 target, um, that had one at one point been predicted to go to the Bengals and or to the, muskies. the muskies. Yeah. Uh, and now that prediction has changed. Um, Jushan Holt is the name of the kid. I don't, I don't think there's much there as far as like if he comes or not. I think you and I both had the same opinion on that text thread today. As far as there's going to be a battle for minutes um, on that team, um, and so I don't blame the kid for not wanting to come and sit. Agree. I think it it would have been great if he if he had come if he's as good as everyone says he's going to be, but. I just don't see where he was going to get minutes. So from his perspective, I, I don't think it would have made sense to come here. And hopefully it gives Steele a lot more flexibility in the next 12 months to shape the roster, you know, for the next five to six years. Absolutely. Um, so, so that's all we got for this week. Um, the Reds, big weekend series coming up um and honestly the weekend series could go badly for the reds and they could still be fine uh i hope that that's not the way that it turns out if they take two or three from the twins they've been beating good teams um that's a that's a good sign of late as far as beating the white Sox, which the white Sox are absolutely in a spiral they got swept uh in a four gamer by the indians so the top of the american league central has become really really tight and one of my hopes at the beginning of the season when i first saw the schedule was that the twins would have the al central wrapped up by this point and would need to go all out to win all these games that's not the case as far as the al central but they're in the playoffs comfortably so um i think versus what the reds did as far as getting two of the reds best three pitchers to be pitching in the series uh, you're not seeing that as much from the Twins. I think they're just staying on their rotation. And then they want to get their guys ready for that first playoff game that they know that they're playing in already. Um, as we just talked about, big weekend for the Bengals to try to right some wrongs. Um, an opportunity. I feel like this is something Marvin Lewis would say. It's an opportunity <laughs> to go out there and compete. Um, Do your they- job. that's what they need to do. They do need to do their jobs and they need to go out there and compete. Um, So dare I say until next week um, with Matt, not here, Chase, you want to sign us off? Yeah, let's just end the podcast and the podcast. See you next week.